Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, Worldly wisdom has been on display this week. Uh, Worldly wisdom has uh, made a mess of things this week. And by whatever measure you use, uh, the our country got a little uglier this past week. <laughs> and it's my job as a pastor to bring you to the words of God. And one of the things that I try to do, one of the things that all pastors, all preachers should try to do is to approach preaching with the scriptures, the word of God, the Bible in one hand, and the newspaper in the other. And folks call that relevant. They call it, well, at least you talk about the things that are going on today. And and some weeks that's easier than others. Some weeks it's more fun than others. This just happens to be a week where uh, thanks to smartphones, we have gruesome videos of things that most of us would never see or want to see. And it was a challenging week for people of color. And it was a challenging week for people in law enforcement. I feel confusion. I feel that part of me doesn't quite know how to react. I don't know how to react to what's happened. I don't know how how to react to the reactions to what's happened. I don't know how to respond to the reaction to the reaction of what's happened. I don't know how to respond further to the reaction to the reaction to the reaction of what's happened. Other than to read some Bible. And it's, it's so God, isn't it, that he would in his providence, in his wisdom, on a day like today, lead us to this passage of Scripture we're going to consider. We've been walking through 1 Corinthians a little bit. And today we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In chapter 3, Paul is still in the midst of his discussion about divisions in church. And he says this. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, by the way. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not ready for it, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he 
who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And you feel a little bit of what's going on here. Paul is addressing this division. He's primarily talking about how people in Corinth, and most scholars think that Paul is using their language because this section has vocabulary that Paul doesn't use anywhere else. And he's probably taking up the language, the slogans of the folks in Corinth. And they're saying, I follow Apollos. And others say, well, I follow Cephas, we saw earlier, or Peter. I follow Paul. And others say, I follow Christ. And they're just acting according to their culture. This is how their culture behaved. In Corinth, in in towns like that where you didn't have TV or internets or Facebook yet, people like to go listen to speeches. People go like to watch plays. People would go to concerts. People would actually go watch sporting events as well. And there was always somebody coming along into town that had the newest, latest ideas, the greatest, latest wisdom of the world. And so people would listen, and they would be convinced, and they'd say, well, I follow Plato, or I follow Socrates. And they would argue these positions, And sadly, this kind of thinking came into the church. Well, I follow Apollos, or I follow Paul. And Paul is trying to address this problem, division in the church. And he starts out with a bite, (laughs) with a zinger. He says, you all think you're mature. You think you're spiritual, but you're just infants. In fact, the Greek there is very derogatory. Elsewhere in his writings, he talks about uh, followers of Christ, that he's led to Christ being children, his beloved children. This is not that word here. This is a pejorative word. He is basically putting them down, saying, you're still acting like a bunch of babies. He's frustrated with them. And more than that, this isn't just uh, talking about a, a stage in life. He's also talking about you're acting in ways that you should know better than to act. Anybody raise kids here? You ever had the phrase, you know better, coming out of your mouth? You're old enough. You should know better. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, you're so old, if you're so spiritually mature in Christ, you ought to know better than to behave this way. But they're allowing the culture to affect how they do church. They're allowing the culture to infect their arguments, their divisions. Could that possibly happen today? Could culture possibly lead to divisions in church today? Cultural forms, cultural preferences. Well, I like these songs. Well, I don't like these songs. Well, I like this preaching. Well, I don't like this preaching. I like these 
psalms. I don't like these psalms. I like this liturgy. Well, I don't like liturgy. You see, there are so many things that we can get divided on, and so many of these things are cultural. In fact, later on in this book, if we stay in it long enough, and I'm debating, (laughs) Paul has instructions on worship, and we don't follow his instructions well, partly because it's hard to follow his instructions, especially at a church where I don't know if anybody speaks in tongues here. And I don't know if anybody has the gift of interpretation here. And some of you might think those things don't exist anymore. And some of you think, well, if we do that, that'll lead to divisions. But that's Paul's directions. And that's why I'm wondering, should we stay in 1 Corinthians that long? Paul is saying that the culture is influencing their views. And they should be more spiritually mature than this. Then he starts this metaphor. He actually has two different metaphors. One is farming and one is building. Both we understand here, don't we? He's basically saying, I planted, Apollos watered, but God brought the growth. He and Apollos are just servants. You don't get all crazy about, when I go buy bread at the store, I don't think, oh, well, this is so-and-so's bread. Farmed by so-and-so in such-and-such field. I just go to the store and go, this is my bread. I spent money on my bread now. And Paul is saying that you don't even think about who raises things. You think about who brings the growth. Now, that seems like a slam at farmers, and I apologize for that. Paul is saying, I'm a servant. I must be out of the way. It's about God who brought the growth. And then he quickly changes gears, and he talks about a building. And then that's where I stopped reading. So let's read here. According to the grace of God, this is uh, chapter 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Notice how he's transitioned now to present tense. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. He's no longer addressing Apollos and him. He's now talking about the leaders in the church in Corinth. He's now talking to those who are building the church in Corinth. And listen to what he says. Now, remember, this next section we read is all plural. So when you read a you here, you need to read y'all or you guys, whichever works for you. You're not reading a singular you. Does that make sense? For no one... So, uh, excuse me, let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And Paul did that work. Apollos contributed. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. <laughs> And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. 
So did you catch the first few things in the list? Gold, silver, precious stones. If you know your Old Testament much, you will know that those were regularly cited as things used to build the temple. And it's like this, Paul has this descending list. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. And then he mentions fire. What do you want your building made of if a fire is coming out of that list? He says fire is coming, and then he talks about the day. Does anybody have that capitalized in their Bible? The day. What day is he talking about? If you know your Old Testament, he's talking about the day of the Lord. This is an eschatological passage. This is talking about future things. And one of the future things that God is going to do is he's going to test the church by fire. We'll unpack that in a moment, but let that just bug you for a second. If the work that one has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now remember, this is all plural. This is talking about a corporate thing. In fact, when you keep reading in verse 16, do you, do all, this is not you alone, this is you with the folks sitting with you here. Do y'all not know that y'all are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in y'all? Do you not know that? If anyone destroys God's temple, what did we just learn is God's temple, according to Paul? Y'all. The church. Remember, in the context, the metaphor he's using here is a building. I think the building he has in mind is the temple. And now he is further pushing the issue, saying, y'all are the temple of God. Now, later in this letter, he will use the singular in relationship to you being the temple of God. So that's true, too. But in this context, he's talking about all of us together. If anyone destroys God temp- God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Y'all are that temple. Now, it's interesting. This passage has been abused. It's been misapplied. It's been poorly used in the past. Sometimes you might hear people argue that this passage argues for eternal security. And it's ironic because in this passage of Scripture, Paul is saying that the Corinthians, though they are very worldly people, though they are acting very fleshly, they do have the Holy Spirit in them, but they are acting as if they don't. So in one sense, Paul is saying, yeah, they're Christians, but they're babies. But the whole message of this section is for, them to, for Paul to say, stop it. Quit being baby Christians. It's not to say, but thank God you'll get through by the skin of your teeth, so just continue. 
And since it's talking about corporate people, the the people of God, the church, I think it's misapplying this to see it as just you and me getting by the skin of our teeth. What is tested by fire is the church. Do you ever think that we corporately, as this particular body of Christ, will be judged? We have to think like that. And it's not just the pastor, though I'm probably at the front of that line, along with all the other pastors this church has had, but it's also the leadership, the elders, anyone who has stepped out in leadership in any kind of role in the church, building on the foundation of Christ. What we build, what we do, will be tested. Paul's saying, be careful. How you build. Another way you might have heard this passage used is to be the only New Testament passage that gives any credence at all to the doctrine of purgatory, the Catholic doctrine. And I don't think that's a good use of this text. Anyways, moving on, in case you've heard those things. If you want to talk more about it, we can have Sunday school afterwards. Paul uses this phrase, temple. And this is something that we have no concept of. When I was a kid, the Mormons built a temple right by my home in Littleton. And when I was in high school, they opened the doors of the temple so we could all go in and see what the big deal was. And so we went and we parked our car in the parking lot with thousands of other gawkers. And we walked through the temple. I wasn't terribly impressed. It felt like the really fancy living room to me. There was some weird things in there. We didn't get to see everything because they wouldn't allow us into every nook and cranny or even the most holy parts of the temple because they don't even let all Mormons in the most holy parts of their temple. But we walked through the temple, and it was the one place in this life that I realized, unless I am a Mormon, unless I follow their rules, unless I understand and get certain teachings and be doing certain things, I can't go in certain places because to them, this is sacred space. And I ain't sacred enough. And I had never experienced that before. I had never experienced that concept before. But this passage of scripture says that there is sacred space in this world. In the minds of the Jewish people, in the Hebrews, there was a place that was sacred. It was above all other places in the world. And that was God's holy temple on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. And that was sacred space. Before that, it was where the tabernacle was. Wherever the tabernacle was, that was sacred space. The Ark of the Covenant, sacred space. And these things were sacred, and you just don't walk up and touch it and do what you want in sacred space. You have to approach it the right way. That's why they had all the sacrifices, so you could approach the sacred space. Be purified so you can go in. But that was just for the Hebrew men. 
could go in certain places. If you were a woman, you couldn't go in certain spots. If you were not a Levite, you couldn't go in certain places. There was always this demarcation that you aren't holy enough. And this is surprising that Paul would use this image and say, you all are the temple. Now, what was the temple? The temple in the Old Testament was the place where God's glory dwelt. I've become convinced in my study of the Old Testament that the glory of God, the person, the second person of the Trinity, I would argue, took up residence, lived in the temple, was there. And now Paul says, that being, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you. You are holy space. You are sacred space. And when y'all get together for church, it's sacred space because the temple of God has gathered together to be in God's presence, to be with God. This passage is telling us that there is warfare, spiritual warfare all around the church because this is sacred space and there are all sorts of of entities and beings that want to destroy and taint this space. Now hear me well. I don't mean this building. Although some of you will think this is sacred space. That's okay. I get it. The sacred space is us. If a tornado hit this, if this burnt down, if you move away and you join another, it's still sacred space. Not this place. Y'all. Paul says if, if you work against the temple of God, if you destroy it, and in this case, the way they're destroying the temple of God is through arguments, through strife, through jealousy, through division, then God will destroy you. Wow, Paul, did you have a really bad day when you wrote this? Was this inspired of God? God will destroy those who destroy the church? Yeah. He will. The day of the Lord. Then we keep reading. Let no one deceive himself if anyone among you thinks. This is verse 18. That he is wise in this age. Let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's and Christ is God. What's he saying here? 
He's saying, if you think worldly wisdom is wise, the way to do things, a good thing, you're a fool. And if you want to be wise, become a fool. We, we considered the cross of Christ and how it's foolishness to the world earlier. And here, Paul is basically saying that the way the world does life, the way the world thinks about things, is completely and utterly upside down and wrong, according to God. Are we allowing the world to influence us? Are we allowing the wisdom of this age to shape us? Are we behaving like the people of the present age? Now, if you're like me, when you're sitting in church and you're a compliant firstborn, you sit there and you wrestle with these questions. Or you nod off and go to sleep. It's one or the other, probably. And if you're like me, you tend to be pretty easy on yourself. I'm doing pretty good with this one. world's not really affecting me. I'm good. Yeah, I'm all right. So let me pull out my knife real quick. I don't have much humor today to help me insert it. Sorry about that. Politics. The way the world, the values of the world, influencing the church's view of politics today. Just this past week, two weeks ago, the Republican frontrunner, Donald Trump, was christened, christened by 1,000 evangelical leaders. As, yeah, he's one of us. He's just a baby, and he uses bad language occasionally, but he's one of us. Cal Thomas in the Washington Post asked Donald Trump, point blank, what do you think of Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus? And Donald did not give an answer like somebody who knows Jesus Christ. Does that mean I'm judging Donald? No, I'm just reporting what Cal Thomas reported about what Donald said about Jesus. And Cal Thomas said, Donald did not give an answer that is clear that he knows Christ. Now, why is it important for evangelical voters to feel like Donald is one of theirs? Why is it important for people of faith to think Hillary might be one of theirs? Why are these things important to us? Because of culture. Because of power. Because we're afraid. Because we're scared. Because of worldly wisdom. The church throughout the ages has gone through times of marginalization and power. Christendom has ended in the West. This might be a newsflash to you. Christendom has ended in the West. And it's freaking Christians out because they've lost home field advantage. They don't know what to do. They are afraid. They don't know what's coming. They want certainty. 
Did you know if you're a Christian, you have certainty? You have it. And it's not found in a political slogan or a political candidate. It's found in King Jesus and him alone. And you do not need a good candidate to vote for to feel certain and secure about your future. If you do, you will be disappointed every time. It is only Christ who is the rock. It is only Christ. In fact, in his own message, his longest sermon, he said, those who build their lives on the things of this world are building on sand. And I was a kid, and I learned this little song in Sunday school. Right? And the waves came up, and the house on the sand went. Right? And Jesus says, but if you will build your life on me, what does that mean? What does that look like? What does that Paul here is saying, it doesn't look like you guys in this book here. It doesn't look like people who are in divisions. It doesn't look like people who are taking after the wisdom of this age and think they're wise according to the wisdom of the age. It is people who look foolish to the world. Jesus said, it is those who love their enemies. Jesus said, it is those who turn the other cheek. Jesus said, it is the peacemakers. Jesus said, it is the mourning, the grieving, the poor. These are the people Jesus said are blessed. We all want to be blessed, but none of us want the other part of the equation. Our culture has radically shaped us, just like it has the Corinthians. For us to look at the Corinthians and go, man, they're divided. These are stupid arguments. Who cares about Paul, Apollos? We don't even know those guys anymore. That's just a dumb conversation. Why is this in my Bible? Because you and I have been influenced by materialism and consumerism, and hedonism, and nihilism. We have been shaped by racism. All these things have shaped us. And they influence how we think about God. And Paul says, stop it. The way you should think about God is the way God wants you to think about him. The way you should think about God is going to look like foolishness to this world. Me? I'm kind of excited that this political season is a train wreck. I'm kind of excited for where the church is today. Why? Because it's going to get real, real fast. And we're going to find out what's being built. We're going to find out who's following Christ. We're going to find out 
who follows the wisdom of this world and who is a fool for God? We're going to find it out. Because no longer is easy believism, no longer is cheap grace going to be a thing. You're going to have to decide. Are you going to follow the wisdom of this world? Striving for power, prestige, opportunity, money, security? Or are you going to follow Christ? Some of you might be thinking, man, this is, this is out of ordinary for Steve. Seems a little political. I don't like that. I don't like that. Here's something to think about. What's Jesus' last name? It's not really his last name, but when you hear people talk about Jesus, what's the next word they use? Christ. You know what that means? Anybody know what Christ means? It's a Greek which means anointed one, which is from the Hebrew, Messiah, which means anointed one. Do you know who was anointed in the Old Testament? Prophets, priests, and kings. And do you know who Jesus is? Jesus is the prophet. Jesus is the priest. Jesus is the king. It's always political with Jesus. It's always religious with Jesus. It's always those things. And Jesus must shape you and your values and how you think and how you interact with these ideas. That doesn't mean we all need to agree. That doesn't mean we all need to see things the same way. That doesn't mean there is a Christian way. But there is a King Jesus way. One of the things it seems our culture needs is some third ways. We've got either or. We've got all these arguments, all these discussions going on. People on both sides yelling and screaming. And now they are starting to shoot each other. And we need a third way forward. The early church, you know what their third way forward was? Caesar's not Lord. Jesus is Lord. The way forward for the church is to understand who we are in Christ. To do away with the idols of this world. To do away with those false idols. Earlier today, and with this we'll close, I read Psalm 82. I didn't pick it. It's actually the lectionary psalm reading for today, which I do every Sunday when I do the psalm before the prayer. And it says this, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, lowercase g, he holds judgment. 
the picture is that God has this council of other spiritual divine beings that he is hanging out with. And the judge of judge, God, Yahweh, has shown up and he's taken his seat. And then it's pronounced by God in quotes. How long will you judge unjustly? He's saying this to the little g judges, gods who have been in charge of the nations. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Ever feel like that's how this world works? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. It's a command from God. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. That's what these little G gods who are in charge of this world should be doing, but they're not. Then God says, they, these gods, have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. And God says, I said, you are God, son of the most high, all of you. He's saying, this is, this is what you are. You're these immortal beings. But then he pronounces judgment on them. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. That is the day of the Lord. That is the day that is coming. Which side of this divide do you want to be on? Those who embrace the wisdom of this age? In the ways of these gods that have already been judged and found wanting? Or do you want to be on the side of King Jesus? If I was a judge, if I was a God in charge of America, <laughs> like the little G God who is in charge of America, that's how it works according to the Old Testament. I would have sown seeds of hatred into the early fabric of this Christian nation. That's what racism, that's what slavery has done. And perhaps that will be this nation's undoing. But at some point, the church must stand for justice, for God. For the foolishness of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, just ask that you would speak to us, your Holy Spirit. Your Spirit is what defines the church as different. Your Spirit is what makes us the people of God, the house of God. Your spirit is what creates a community. And sometimes I wonder. Sometimes it doesn't feel we're creating that kind of community around your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father, in the coming days that you would knit this church together, that we would rally around your word and around the person of Christ and the Holy Spirit. And that you would help us to know what you have for us and what you want of us. 
and that we would be shaped by the wisdom of God and not the wisdom of this age. Holy Spirit, make it so. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May you be a fool for Christ and shun the wisdom of this age. Amen.